Stuff that changed the world. The mobile phone, the internet changed the world. Penicillin, I would have thought. I would say sanitation. It changes everything. In a walking definition of irony, myself and Simon Tierney are now going to just discuss something neither of us have used in many, many years. Indeed, Sean, it's a, it's a sad day. But you know what? It's, the funny thing about this is that there are a generation of men out there in their 70s and 80s who haven't seen a hair on their head for decades, mm. yet still own and use a comb. I know a man in his 70s and he still combs his head every morning is even it, though there's nothing to comb on. Even if with, for a comb over, maybe. No, no, no there's no. nothing there at all. Oh, God. Yeah, I think it's kind of the habit or kind of making you feel neat and tidy. Um, mm. But, you know, that, that's a generation of men who would have kept um, a comb in their breast pocket. Yes, indeed. You know, yeah. it was a thing that one did in mm. those days, a tortoise shell comb. Mm. And, and I assume as long as people have had hair uh, uh, is as long as people have been trying to comb it. Indeed, yeah. So it makes sense that, you know, the comb as an object, as a man-made object, is among the oldest, earliest man-made tools. Um, we have evidence of combs from the Paleolithic, the Stone Age era, um, which is of no surprise. These would have been carved out of um, animal bones, uh, wood, um, etc. Um, particularly, we have some really nice examples, ancient examples of combs from um, areas that would have been uh, Persia, um, ancient Egypt. The ones in ancient Egypt uh, deserve special mention because the Afrocomb, um, the contemporary Afrocomb, is uh, its descendant, its ancestor rather, is the original ancient Egyptian comb. And this, ah. these are the ones that would have been buried uh, alongside pharaohs and um, Egyptian nobility. They're the exact same design as Afrocombs. And that, that what I mean by an Afrocomb is the long toothed, widely spaced version yeah. of a comb. Um, which remains popular to this day. Now, the Egyptians would have, they would have had these beautifully carved and they were status symbols in their own right. They weren't simply used for functional purposes. They were kept in the hair. So you still see people today occasionally doing that. It's in their hair. Absolutely. Yeah, it's that come. That's a very ancient tradition. That's not a contemporary idea at all. Is, and so was it a status symbol just that you had a comb or it was like a really fancy one? <laughs> no, it would have been a particularly fancy one. Right. Perhaps a rare animal that was slaughtered to make that comb from its bones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what we do know is that um, there's a couple of uh, parasitologists. Cool job, by the way. What is a parasitologist? <laughs> okay. Anyway, yeah. A parasitologist is um, a person who specialises in the study of parasites, which are, of course, those uh, pesky lions which hmm. tend to get into our hair um, every now and then. Uh, any parent of a school-going child will be well aware of yeah. these little devils. So, um, they discovered in 1981, about 40 years ago, they were looking at an ancient comb that they dug up in the Judean desert. And um, they discovered on one particular comb from the first century AD which they'd carbon dated they found 10 dead head lice and 27 dead louse eggs those were 2000 year old louse eggs 
Oh my uh, God! Went. Yeah, um, every single there. parent, Simon, listening to this now will go. My, people have been suffering with that fecking thing for tooth because, <laughs> like, you, you like those combs are really fine sm- tooth comb, fine tooth, fine comb, tooth comb. and trying to pull that through like a you know a six year old's hair when they're screaming their brains out yes. is challenging. Uh, to put up mildly, yes, uh, yes, yes, absolutely, very, very challenging. I, I can only imagine. So um, the point, the reason I'm saying this, Sean, is because it shows us that not, they weren't just used for cosmetic purposes. These mm. ancient combs in that part of the world, there on the Mediterranean um, Sea. They were also used for for getting rid of lice. So these are combs that would have been double sided. So the the one side would have been widely spaced. So you had the shaft in the middle, and then widely spaced tooth, and on the other side, finally, uh, fine tooth comb uh, for taking out the lice. Now everything changes in the Middle Ages, um, Sean, as it tends to do. Comb maker becomes a trade, particularly in Norway. The Norwegians and the Swedes lay claim to inventing the comb. It's absolute nonsense, of mm. course. But um, uh, they, they like to think that they invented it because they do have some very fine examples of very old combs, particularly Viking combs up in that part of the world, which are very beautiful. But comb maker is someone who would have gone around from um, town to town in Norway in the Middle Ages um, and he would have said okay does anyone need a comb I'm a comb maker I'll make you a comb and, and then that that's the way it worked oh. in the 11th 12th and 13th and would these centuries. all be made from some sort of bone I they assume. would have been made from bone or wood Right. Okay. okay. So they they you know really beautiful objects, and you mm. would have looked after it very much. If you dropped it, it would have shattered. In uh, further south in the Middle Ages, um, in France, for example, the comb in the Middle Ages became a sort of a, an object of love, of romance, of courting, which is interesting. Yeah. I found one comb which would have been given to a lover um, while they were courting. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's an extraordinary thing because this is a de-lousing comb, okay? And it says, on, <laughs> it says on one side, it's inscribed pour bien in French, uh, pour bien, sorry, excuse my French accent there, which means for your comfort. So this, this would have been a situation where a man was dating a woman and... Um, as things were getting more serious, he thought, well, what she really needs now, what she really needs from me to know how I feel about her, what she needs for me to declare my love to her is a de-lousing comb. Yeah. That's what she needs from me at this particular moment. And she wouldn't have thought, are you saying I've got lice? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or and could Sean, you get rid of the head lice before we get married? Sean, um, you know, let's not forget that um, <laughs> in the Middle Ages, this delicing comb might not just have to be used on the head. This probably would have had to be used all over Ooh. the body. Ooh. Yeah, okay. I see Paul Harrington on Twitter. I was just looking at pictures of you this morning, Paul Harrington. Uh, you know why. Uh, he says, I'm scratching my head now, as in probably many people are. Uh, right. <laughs> uh, right, so so uh, the, the, as you said, bone uh, d- d- was what it was made of a lot in the in the Middle Ages. Did, did, did that change in terms of what it could uh, be made from? Yeah, I think a really important turning point is the early Victorian period. Um, or actually pre-Victorian, really. Um 
uh, the early part of the 19th century, we see the emergence of tortoise shell as a really important and popular material used in the making of combs. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Now, everyone's seen a tortoise shell. It's the kind of the classic gentleman's comb. Mm. Of course, they're not made of tortoise shell anymore because that's probably banned. But um, because it's a bit cruel the way they're made and I'll get on to that in a second. But okay. it's that beautiful kind of marble effect, yellow and yes. brown mm. effect. Yeah. So what they did was they took the shell off a turtle and they boiled it in salt water okay and this makes it malleable it makes it soft the shell Mm. and then when it's pressed into a mould and carved you get this beautiful effect this marble effect but it meant that you could have a malleable material that eventually hardened Right. This is something, of course, that we think of as kind of hardened rubber nowadays. So when Charles Goodyear came along in 1843, someone who is really a hero of this series, uh, Sean, over the past (laughs) few years, you know, he props up, props up so many times because the vulcanization process, the discovery of that in 1843 is one of the most consequential things in human history. It's just extraordinary the effect that it had. But people don't know is that the comb was one of the first objects that Charles Goodyear experimented with. How interesting. And what he did was he realised that when he vulcanised rubber latex, natural latex from a tree, he could mould it into any shape he wanted. And then when it cooled, it hardened. So it was like discovering plastic before plastic ever existed, right? Mm. You can imagine discovering this and going, oh my God, I can literally make any object I could ever dream of. Um, So uh, that had a profound effect on the comb and suddenly all combs were made of rubber. Now you don't get combs made of rubber nowadays, they're Mm. all made of plastic. But the rubber that I'm talking about here is a hardened rubber, but it still had a little bit of give. Now, if you cast your mind back, Sean, to the last time you used a comb, plastic combs are actually quite nasty to use because there's no give. They're really hard scraping across your scalp. But Charles Goodyear's rubber combs, I can only imagine what they were like, but what the the contemporary writings I've read about them is that they were hard and they were shatterproof, which was a really big thing at that time. But they also had that little bit of give on your scalp because they were made of rubber. So they didn't hurt you as much as nowadays combs. Bring back rubber combs. Yeah, it's surprising then that, yeah, that, that, that there was that switch to plastic, but I suppose it was just cheaper, cheaper, just cheaper to cheaper. produce. Of cheaper. course it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you, while well, you'd said, you said when you tweeted earlier on today that this is uh, your 11th anniversary of joining the bald community. Do you, do you actually have a date? Yes. I, I didn't yeah, know one did that. Yeah, I do, because um, I remember the last time I went to a barber's, it was in Holborn in London, um, 11 years ago this month. And uh, I remember when I went to that barber's that day, I knew it was like I was going to my own funeral because I knew that I was walking to my last ever session with a barber and that was going to be it. Gosh. And... I uh, got my hair cut that day. I didn't keep a lock, but keep it in my heart, Sean. Yeah. And was that kind of a regular haircut that you got or was it like shave it all off, it's all over kind of thing? Shave it off, it's all over. It started with my uh, girlfriend at the time um, saying to me that 
uh, I was going bald and I laughed at her and thought she was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she kept making the same joke. Yeah. And eventually I realised that most jokes are grounded in some level of truth. So. Oh God. And, and did you, when you, were you still in a relationship with her when you went to the, the, the barbers in Holborn? I was, yeah. yeah. So I went through the uh, denial and acceptance stages uh, with her at the same time. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I did buy a comb last year, even though I've been bald for for so many years now. Um, and it was a very strange experience, uh, as I think I've mentioned on this show before. You know, we had a baby during the pandemic in 2020, um, towards the beginning of the pandemic. And in those early few days of having a baby, you know, the the, the, the male partner or the, the partner who, who hasn't given birth is the one running around doing errands, getting, you know, nipple shields and all this carry on mm. that you've never even heard of uh, or knew that these things existed and you're being sent off to Boots to find the bizarrest things. Well, I got a phone call um, saying that uh, she needed a comb. So I said, what for? And she said, you don't need to know. <laughs> so that okay. was fine. <laughs> so I went and bought a comb. A bald man buying a comb in is, a in a yeah, in it's a, a punchline in itself. Is, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's like trying to go and buy condoms mm. at the counter of a pharmacy. You know, it's not a pleasant experience mm. because you can see the smirk on the salesperson's mm. face. Give it up now. You know, yeah. the hair is all gone. The jig is up. So I brought it home. But the reason, um, and I did a bit of research on this yesterday evening, Sean. And apparently people do it in, in Ireland as well, is often a common thing experienced by new mothers who are trying to breastfeed is that you will have a blocked milk duct. And one of the, I don't want to say old wives tales, but perhaps kind of fringe pieces of advice mm. in this area is to take a comb and gently draw the comb down the breast towards the nipple in order to free that blockage. Okay. Now, I had never heard of that before. When my partner did that to free the milk duct, uh, I didn't know it was about the milk duct. I just gave her the comb and ran away. Yeah. Uh, which <laughs> is what I did. Sitting in the other do. room till I call you back. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but then I finally did the research last night and I realised what was going on. So there you go. Okay, you, well, you could kind of see the logic of that. That might work. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, you're desperate. In the first few days of, of after having a baby, you're kind of reaching for any solution to all problems, aren't you? So Yeah, so it's, it's worth a go. And w back in the day when you did use combs, did you have a favourite sort of comb? Yeah, so my favourite comb is the switchblade comb. Um, now, certain... Uh, listeners of a particular vintage might be familiar with the happy days and uh, mm. the Fonz. There's a particular episode <laughs> of the Fonz where he takes out a switchblade comb. Um, they're just brilliant. You don't see them nowadays, Sean. Uh, they work exactly like switchblades, except in the place of a terrifying blade is a very humble comb. And you need a massive quiff to go with it. Indeed. Simon, yes. uh, pleasure as always. Thanks a million. Simon Tierney, there you are listening to The Moncrief Show on you.